Good morning. It is February the 4th, 2024. So there's two twos and two fours. And it's just real. I don't know what it adds up to be, but certainly my question to you is, what is it that you do as you are a citizen too? And what is citizenship actually entail for the people who look like me? Will I just be black and 65? And enough is enough. Enough of people telling our stories and explaining or choosing not to explain why it is our children are not making it in the public education system as it is, as it is and it should be our major concern because we are the harvest of 2024. In America, don't bother to question yourself. What is it that you have done in your years during your dashes? And so many people leave this earth without creating anything, but so many people are just off task. What can I say? They are so caught up in self. And it's all about self and what they can do. And this is not about what I can do individually. But this certainly is the journey. And I'm just looking for the people that should be on that train, you know. On that midnight train, you know. The one that should be ensuring that adequacy happens for the least of us. But when you have to question, and I know, there is a list that shows all of the starting ages of children, period, across the United States. There are several that say the age of seven, and I happen to be here in Nevada, where the age is seven. And then to argue with, or to attempt to explain that it's not happening for all children. And some children are being delayed till the age of seven. I just really want to know. If they're delaying the start of the children in the Early Start program, well, what services are they really providing? Because I believe it's absolutely none. And you're on your own in America. Who are you going to tell? Because there's just no one to tell. Especially here in Nevada, when Nevada has chosen that Hmm, Seattle, Washington would be its oversight in regards to the federal regulatory guidance. And I'm saying no state can oversee another state, and that's just not going to happen, period. But until we understand that giving a man a fish every day, he will be guaranteed to come back for that fish. But when you teach a man to fish, you may never see him again. So what will it be, boo? I'm trying to teach you how to fish. And all you got to go do is USA.gov and understand that every state receives the same grant money. But some states are doing so much better than others. But truly, what are you doing in the year of 2024? I say, like, share. And let's ride this wave together, as you know, that here on Spotify, well, over there on Anchor, we were getting pennies. They figured out how not to pay us anymore is what they did. And they moved us over there to Spotify. 
And now Spotify is coming out on the 24th of 2024, saying that they're not going to give us anything either. However, they will gladly collect collect, uh, the subscription prices for your ass. And I'm sure they're charging you. They've just figured out how to get paid on every level, including getting paid on the content that we provide. So the word is, boo. In this morning's message, a purpose, you know, out of many, there's one. Hmm. But out of one, there may be none. What are we doing in the year of 2024? This is Citizen Anderson saying, peace out. And see you later. Well, what should we say? More to come tomorrow. Y'all have a blessed day. So, good morning, good morning, good morning. It is February the 1st, 2024. <laughs> Today's my sister's birthday. Happy birthday, Tony. <clears throat> Blessed to be here. Blessed to be here with you. As you know, people really just don't understand. There is power in advocacy. And this is the second half of my journey. As my children are all adults. Mm-hmm. And they made it. So many people just have not made it. And it just behooves the shit out of me. I'm concerned. As here we are. And what is wrong with these children? As sexual, whatever, they're sexually deviant. And then all of the TV, and that Gen V, that Gen V on Prime Video. But, you know, some of this stuff out here is just very influencing mental health. And that's just real, but whose responsibility is it? There's just no oversight. As there's zero accountability for everything. And who you gonna tell? (laughs) Ghostbusters? Reality check. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, you don't need to follow me. No, but I do need to be promoted because I'm going to have to figure out where I take my content so who's ever using it can pay me for it. Because, bing, 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 we're just talking about content, boo, and it is only capital, but it is helping somebody else to make money, because you have to understand what they're not doing anymore is paying for the use, or for the advertisement, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. The house passed a bill. What did the bill, what did the, oh, because, you know, the Republicans certainly, oh, I can't even read it, but, you know, they're all about harvesting. So if it's going to benefit someone, I'm just trying to understand why is it that we in America just can't see. It is the people who are employing these people who are coming here to work in America as they are able to work. And they are able to create unique ways where, you know, people can work and they can pay less money. It's all criminal. But guess what? <laughs> we, oh, we have law enforcement for that. A lot of times they're involved. Truly, they are. I mean, you know, this is America, however. 
And we have an obligation to ensure adequacy happens just for the youngest and the neediest of children. But what does that look like? Quite frankly, whose lane is it? The real reality is, is that it is we the people. It is just so unfortunate that so many people who look like me have chosen not to participate. And then we have people who would be entertainers who love the attention, but then would like to control the narrative. And so, you know, it is, if you put, if you you do things in public, don't question yourself when people talk about it. And Kanye does things in public to get attention, and then he gets pissed off because people talk about it. Oh, well, get over it. Because bing, 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 it's just human capital, boo. And you don't understand. It is entertainment. And people have figured that out. So I figured it out, too. I'm sitting here and I would not pay to go see so many black people out there on the strip. But, you know, so many people like you do. (laughs) And that's just real. And it's just only entertainment. But those entertainers are paying a huge portion of their revenue to the federal tax people. And if you win money here, boo, you definitely going to pay that money. And my mother won $222,000 and she just paid $28,000 in taxes the year she, the next year. And that's just real. She set the money aside and that went for taxes. And then the next year she died. But we're going to get some tax money back because simply, you know, trauma is just trauma. And she's owed it and due it. And then when that money comes back, I am going to pay her bills. You know, somebody's been knocking for those bills for a long time. And eventually they will get that money. I mean, but it is the universe. And it is just how it works. And things are just so dysfunctional here. What is failure? And what is the value of the letter grade of F? Somehow, across our nation, we have moved to social and emotional learning, and no one can measure that in regards to the benefits of A, B, C. But when public education is turned into filling in the bubble boo, and there are no skills learned in regards to behavioral norms as children cannot communicate effectively and as children are not even assessed anymore by the age of three for the language development or if they are no services are being rendered but who are you in the year of 2024 (laughs) somebody's knocking at the door but somebody been ringing that bell. Won't you open the door and step on in? Bring your chair just like <laughs> Tennessee. And I'm just trying to understand. You know, the district, Clark County School District holds a great responsibility for whatever happened on that incident at the school where the young man was attacked. He wasn't attacked. He was attacking someone. He had a knife. And... He met his demise, but these children are being held in regards to his death, murder. But, you know, all of that 
did I not think that entering that boy's head when they're all, it's mob violence, it's gang violence, it's mob violence. But, you know, these children really need to be talking about the consequences of these actions because it's not like Clark County hasn't had so many violent incidents in these years, in these five years I have been here. Nothing but violence. And then there is just the police oversight. It is more like a prison industrial complex than any other. And then the issue is is that people are receiving benefits who don't really qualify. That's right. They just market magnet schools when they sell property here. And they just promise scholarships. Well, did you not know that federal dollars can't go to scholarships? Oh, well, there's just we the people here, and we do what we do because we are who we are, and we are the people who show up. So won't you show up with me in 2024? Write your senator. Excuse me, Congress member. Excuse me, Mr. Attorney General. But we the people can't stand it anymore. So can you tell me where is our avenue where is our lane? I would like to participate. I would like to know what the manifestation data is for the children who have been removed from their gifted and talented program under that NRS code for habitually, habitual, habitually disciplinary problem children as the process has been established by Nevada legislators. Let's just talk about the interventions that should have came prior to But until we meet again, boo, who are you in the year of 2024? Don't let the door not hit you where the good Lord split you. Y'all have a blessed day now. So good morning. It is, oh Lord, February the 1st. 2024. It is my my sister's birthday, my oldest sister's birthday. She is 67 this year. That means I'm going to be 66 when my time comes. But let's just talk about the ability to just continue to live and thrive in America. And actually, what does life look like to you? Because I find it, gosh, I find it depressing that these young women, all they think about is all they have, is what's in between their legs. And they're busy doing the jiggle jiggle. But of course, there were days in, in, in history, I'm sure, where there were people who just danced for people for money and and, you know, look at the movies, I guess, if you just relate life to the movies, what are we really talking about? Because it can be no more than what you've already seen in your lifetime. Or what can it be? We watched the Will Smith smack down and then trying to understand just what that was really all about. And truly, I see where the problem is. Truly, um, you know, it is real. And and 
what we witnessed was real as you know it is continuing and uh, this is not cool it's all coming to loose here let me see if I can save it hey good morning and then so uh, the deal is is that you know we live in a nation that requires us to engage or to participate and uh, what has happened over time is so many people have just chosen not to engage and not to participate and it really doesn't matter because if you choose not to show up then what happens is it it's it doesn't doesn't matter because someone else will relate the message for you and uh, you will truly just get the message relayed and and understand when people are saying oh how they're not going to vote well then don't vote because when you choose not to show up the vote doesn't count anyway it counts for whatever they're choosing it to count for and quite frankly it doesn't change so here we are <clears throat> living in america trying to pretend that we really just don't understand what's going on and i want to tell you yeah you should understand because it's you and it's what you've chosen not to participate in forever so long and it's still happening how does that happen and I'll tell you, it's something that just happens, and it's something that will continue to happen. Why does it happen like that? Well, because that's the way it was supposed to kind of work out that way. This is crazy. And uh, it really just, I don't know if it makes a difference anymore. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Does it really make a difference? And I don't believe it does. In the year of 2024, when so many people have just chosen to pretend that them showing up or not showing up just doesn't make a difference. And, and it really doesn't. So here we are. And I'm trying to understand what we're looking at. Because children are forced to comply with the law. And compliance means that you... <clears throat> You needed to understand that uh, that's what compliance means. It means that you will comply. You will be forced to comply or die. Lastly, we have Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973, which is a law that prohibits federal contractors and subcontractors from discriminating in employment against individuals with disabilities and requires employers to take affirmative action to recruit, hire, promote, and retain these individuals. Now I'll discuss OFCCP's mega projects. Since March of 2023, OFCCP announced there are 24 mega construction projects throughout the nation. However, here in the Pacific region, we only have four currently. One in Sumas, Washington, one in San Diego County, next to the Mexican border, and two in the San Francisco Bay Area. The, the mega project program 
is designed to foster equal opportunity in the construction trades workforce of federal contractors and subcontractors on large federal construction projects. For these projects to be eligible for designation as mega projects, they must have a minimum value of $35 million or more in funding and and in some part be funded by federal dollars and are expected to last at a minimum of one year. I will be providing additional information and resources at the end of our presentation in the chat window. During the presentation, your microphone will be muted and cameras turned off. If you have questions, please type your questions into the chat window or raise your hand and you will, we will turn on your mic before you can ask your question. Now I will introduce you to OFCCP Ombudsman, Ombuds, uh, Marcus Sturgio. Well, Ed, thank you for the welcome and, and thank you to the Pacific Region's outreach team for inviting me to join today's webinar. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, and thanks so much to everyone who decided to join. Uh, I see we have a small enough group that, uh, as you mentioned, Ed, if people do have questions or comments or anything that um, you'd like me to address as we go through today's discussion, then please feel free to use the raise hand feature. Um, I'll, I'll be sure to take a look at that and, and address questions as we go if you have any. You can also use the chat function and, and enter questions or comments that you have there in the chat. Uh, and I'll do my best to keep an eye there to, uh, um, to, to flag your questions if there are any. But really happy to be here today to talk about OFCCP's Ombud Service. Um, if we go to the next slide, I'll give you an overview of what I was hoping to discuss. Thank you, Grace. Um, so today's discussion topics, I thought I could give you just a really quick background on myself and how I got into this work. Um, and then also how the OFCCP Ombud Service came to be, uh, why there is an Ombud Service. And from there, I'll sort of take a step back even further and just generally cover some ombuds basics. Um, I understand that if, unless people out there are wanting to do ombuds work themselves, you don't need to know it in great detail. Um, but I do find in just talking with people and also sometimes working with people when I first begin working with people, um, if, if folks haven't worked with an ombuds before, there are sometimes questions about what ombuds work generally looks like. So we'll talk a little bit about that to give you a sense for what I do day to day. Um, and then also, Every year I put together an annual report that covers the work that I do um, during a, a given fiscal year. This year's annual report is not yet on OFCCP's landing page. It will be uh, will be in the next few weeks, but sort of a sneak peek at some of what's in there uh, with the goal being to give you a better sense for the types of issues and concerns that people bring to my attention with the Ombud Service. Um, what things typically look like once I begin working with someone, some of the options that we have available to us to address issues and concerns. Um, and then looking ahead kind of at ways that we might be able to collaborate if any of you on the line um, do, do want to continue the conversation offline and more directly. Uh, and I will save some time at the end for questions and answers, but again, we have a small enough group that I welcome them uh, as we go. So feel free to um, maybe good, good practice to make sure we're all muted for now, just so that we can limit 
feedback background noise but if you do have any questions feel free to raise your hand or put them into the chat and I'd be happy to address them so if we thank you grace um just a quick background about how i got to OFCCP and why i'm here so before i started with the agency um my background was in mediation um conflict resolution work generally uh and i eventually after several years mediating came to focus on workplace and employment mediation workplace and employment conflict resolution and um Ombuds work seemed like a natural transition uh, from workplace and employment mediation. Um, and so with a growing interest in ombuds work, I saw that OFCCP was looking for an ombuds. Um, and, and I'll talk more about why that was in just a second. Um, but the, the, the basic nature of what I did before the agency was helping people to address uh, issues and concerns when they get to the point where some sort of resolution process is needed to prevent it from escalating even further. Um, as an ombuds at OFCCP, I'm sort of using that, but yet um, working with people either much earlier on or uh, as they notice uh, a particular issue or concern is beginning to escalate. Um, and so there are a number of processes that we can implement when that's the case, uh, which I'll talk with you uh, about some of those here today. Um, if we go to the next slide, I'll share even more background, but this time more specific to the Ombuds Service and how it came to be. So I started with the agency in 2019, August 2019, so about four and a half years ago. And there, I, I'm not the first Ombuds at OFCCP. There was uh, an Ombuds office about 20 years before, before I uh, joined in 2019. And my understanding is that at the time, it was a really popular program among external stakeholders but unfortunately uh, was discontinued um, again sometime in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. And so in 2019, the idea for bringing an ombuds office back um, came for a few reasons. One, the Government Accountability Office in its 2016 report, Strengthening Oversight Could Improve Federal Contractor Non-Discrimination Compliance, what the report identified was that there were a few recommendations GAO had for ways that OFCCP could, uh, could increase transparency and enhance its communication with external stakeholders. Um, and then also the agency itself, pre-COVID, uh, hosted every year, hosted a number of in-person town halls across the country that were aimed at uh, connecting with the stakeholder community um, having conversations about particular topics, but then also getting feedback from stakeholders around those topics. And pretty consistent feedback that came from most of, if not all of those town halls, despite whatever the specific topic for each town hall was, uh, was kind of what the GAO report was uh, suggesting. So a reiteration of that, that OFCCP, um, according to stakeholders, could really benefit from looking at ways that it could increase transparency and enhance its communication. So um, with those two different sources of very similar feedback, the senior leadership team at the time uh, kind of thought outside the box and, and decided that they'd hire an ombuds to, to do those two things, um, to increase transparency, enhance communication. Uh, not necessarily with those being the primary goal of the ombuds, but an ombuds being a position that might be able to, given the nature of what an ombuds does, 
help the agency um, improve in those two areas and also serve as an outlet for external stakeholders to bring forward concerns and bring forward issues that stakeholders identify um, as confidentially as they'd like to. And I'll talk more about confidentiality and a few other ombuds principles in just a minute. But when I mentioned that stakeholders are able to bring forward concerns, it can be um, this too, I'll get more specific about it in a few minutes, but just for now, it could be, you know, really general concerns uh, about agency policies that might apply to all contractors, to all external stakeholders. Um, it could be agency operations and procedures that apply to all contractors, all external stakeholders. Or it could be more specific issues and concerns, maybe in relation to communication um, that, that's not going so well between an external stakeholder and an OFCCP employee. That might be uh, related to a compliance evaluation. It could be related to a complaint investigation. It could be related to compliance assistance. Um, so either more general concerns that the agency might want to look at globally or particular issues that are uh, maybe creating impasses between the stakeholder and the agency. Um, and the goal when, despite what the concern or issue is, the goal is always uh, for an ombuds to serve as a, a supplemental channel as opposed to you know redirecting outcomes or um, kind of deciding what happens given a particular conflict. My goal is always to, uh, to, to sort of better understand what the issues might be um, and help people come up with a plan for how to address them um, and get back on track working together to address them directly without me really need, needing to be involved. Um, so that's just generally where the Ombud Service uh, came from in terms of the, the need that was de uh, at one point identified for it um, and why the agency brought me in a few years back to, uh, to, to launch this program. On the next slide, just kind of um, more general, ombuds work more generally. And I, again, I explained this just to give people a sense for what um, is important to me when I work with people individually. And I usually explain some of these things to people when someone first contacts me. Um, but just to give you a sense for some of the safeguards that are put in place to help me be effective as an ombuds. Um, the International Ombuds Association created these four standards of practice that you see here on the slide a number of years ago to help ombuds practitioners um, be effective in their roles. And so just a brief overview of each. Um, confidentiality yeah, is, is crucial in order for people to trust that I'm uh, an appropriate person they can call and share issues or concerns with. Uh, they've got to know that I'll keep those concerns confidential and as confidential as people need, really. So when okay. someone does contact me, we can talk about what's going on from their perspective um, and I usually ask questions like, you know, is there anything you've shared with me you don't want me to repeat to others um, that I might have conversations about this issue with? Um, in addition to that, no one even needs to know that we had the conversation. So there's multiple layers of confidentiality that are embedded in the process so that people uh, know that they can safely raise an issue or concern without others at the agency either becoming aware they did or... Um, you know, sort of preserving the more colorful aspects of, of someone's story, uh, such that the inf most important information is relayed so that the issues can be addressed. Um, impartiality is also 
a, a crucial principle of ombuds work. Um, no one's going to want to call me and talk to me if they think I'm going to be judgmental or if I'm going to push them in a direction that OFCCP prefers that they go in. Um, so I'm a neutral third party. I don't take sides. I don't direct outcomes in favor of one party or the other. I don't advocate for OFCCP, even though I am an OFCCP employee, just as like I don't advocate for external stakeholders. So when someone contacts me with an issue, I don't become their representative. I don't um, I don't try to help them accomplish everything it is that they want to achieve. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I am available to better understand, understand the issues and concerns so that I can then share them uh, with the people at the agency who need to understand them so that the agency can address. Um, independence. So the, the ombuds role is set up such that um, you, you aren't affiliated with other people within the, the agency in terms of um, participating on work teams or being a part of other divisions within the agency that might compromise your neutrality. So independence is really um, a principle so that uh, impartiality can can stand up um, and an ombuds can be a, new, a true neutral third party. So you, you create sort of a firewall, not because you don't want to collaborate with others in the agency. In fact, you collaborate often, um, but you do it so that you have um, a straight line to whomever it is you report to and then don't have outside influences that might jeopardize your neutrality. Uh, and then informality is the last standard of practice. Um, what this suggests is that I'm not an office of formal legal notice. So if people have uh, things that they want the department to become aware of and put the, the department on legal notice of something, um, I'm not the right person to contact again because of that first standard confidentiality. People may not ever know unless um, it's something that I then have a conversation with others in senior leadership about because I've decided I think it's important they know. Um, this is a much more informal process than, let's say, contacting the Office of Inspector General or a more formal process like that. Um, it's also informal in that it's voluntary. So there is no particular point in OFCCP's compliance evaluation or complaint investigation procedures where people have to begin working with me. It's completely voluntary, uh, both for external stakeholders who choose to reach out and also for OFCCP. So no one's ever forced to work with me. Um, and once we do work together, it's um, it's also voluntary what we, we actually do. So there's no template uh, for how the process needs to go. I try to um, better understand at first what people want to need and then kind of come up with a plan for how we can work together to best address people's issues and concerns. So those are the four standards of practice. Uh, Mark, if you have a question in the chat. Sure, sure. Yeah, let me um, take a look at, thank you. States' rights and human rights or citizens challenging when it comes to advocacy as failure should not be an option. We all have rights, but when states are not creating equal access is a problem. So, so these are the types of specific uh, concerns that people sometimes might reach out to me and share. And uh, if you'd like to, to have a, an offline conversation about some of the um, the particular needs that people in the stakeholder community have as it relates to OFCCP's work. That's a good example of the types of things that we can set up a call to discuss. Um, and if there are ways that OFCCP within its jurisdiction is able to take a look at uh, the needs or recommendations or concerns that stakeholders have, that that's sort of what I'm here for. Um, so these kind of specific uh, needs that people have, um, feel free to reach out if you'd like to discuss how OFCCP sure. might be... Uh, 
be able to address. If we go to the next slide, um, so when someone does reach out, a lot of what I do, I, I kind of put into what I think of as like these five buckets of what we, what we can do on an ombuds referral. Um, one is individual work. So I think lots of times when people think of an ombuds, they equate ombuds to mediators, right? And there are similarities between the work. Uh, but mediation is like one component of what an ombuds can do. Um, a lot of what I do is actually just working with people one-on-one. So uh, um, if someone reaches out and says, Marcus, I don't want you to tell anyone else at OFCCP that I'm having these issues. I just want to kind of like, you know, you to be a sounding board, at least initially, and share ideas with me that you have hearing this story. And then maybe from there, I might want you to reach out to the person I'm having an issue with. But for now, just like, let's have a confidential conversation. That's totally okay. And that's how a lot of this starts. Um, and in that conversation, what we might do is explore resources. So if there are resources that when I'm listening to your story, I think might be of value to you, um, I might point them, point them out. Um, we can also generate options. If there are things that, in my experience, facilitating um, processes between uh, OFCCP and stakeholders that I see as potential options, then we can discuss those. More often than not, I'm interested in what options you might identify um, that address the issues or concerns that you're, you're having. Um, and conflict coaching is a, a process that's actually sort of similar to what I've already explained, but it's more a little bit more formulaic in that we identify what people's goals are, um, what roadblocks there might be to that point in people addressing um, or achieving their goals, and then uh, again, sort of generating options that might that might work for addressing those roadblocks such that people can achieve their goals. So a lot of what I do is individual work. Um, also do a fair amount of small group work, which is either mediation, which I already mentioned, uh, essentially facilitating other people's negotiations is how I think of mediation. Um, or shuttle diplomacy is similar, but it's a process where the parties aren't ever in the same room or talking to each other directly. Um, they are, uh, I'm meeting with people individually back and forth, relaying messages, either because they're not able to communicate directly and effectively or because, um, they've chosen not to, um, from there. And in addition to a large group work presentations like these, um, I'm always happy to, to give so that we can, as a group kind of talk about ways that I might be able to collaborate with people. Um, sometimes hold listening sessions where I'm able to, in large group settings, allow people to share um, not just one-on-one, -on -one, but among others, uh, what their experiences are with the agency. Um, and then also, I provide conflict management, conflict resolution training to OFCCP employees so that they're better able to uh, be collaborative and be effective communicators when working with stakeholders. Uh, systemic reviews are common in ombuds work. Um, lots of times what this is, is when I'm seeing trends or patterns and kind of the individual issues that I'm working on with people, I flag those for senior leadership. So systemic reviews kind of leads to the fifth bucket upward feedback, where if there are particular issues or concerns I'm seeing a lot of, um, I might want to dive deeper and better understand why I'm seeing a lot of them. And then, you know, the, what I see within those, uh, I don't investigate, so I don't want to call it an investigation, but when I look more closely at particular issues, 
and come up with what I what I would call my assessment of them, I'll relay that to senior leadership, to the director of OFCCP, so that the front office, the senior leadership team can better understand and become aware of what might be going on on the ground. And then they can come up with ways of addressing it based on whatever the, uh, the trends I'm noticing are. So that, um, again, is kind of an overview of Ombud's work generally, but also how it applies to, to me and my role. Um, if we go to the next slide, I'll kind of shift to, to talking mm -hmm. about the types of issues that I most often work on, where those referrals are coming from, um, and then also what I typically do when I receive an ombuds referral. These are the things that, as I mentioned earlier, are featured in the annual report and will be on OFCCP's website uh, soon, but just kind of a, a glimpse at, at what you'll see in that report to give you an idea, hopefully, of... Um, mm -hmm if there are ever issues or concerns that you have with, with the agency, um, the ways that we might be able to work together. So on the next slide, I have uh, referral sources. So one thing that's important to me to identify is where the referrals, I call them referrals. It could also, you could say inquiries or cases. I try not to call them cases because OFCCP uses that terminology elsewhere, but um, important to me to kind of step back and take a look at where these referrals are coming from. Um, are most of them coming from contractors? Are most of them coming from contractor representatives? And by contractor representative, I'm referring to attorneys or consultants who represent contractors in their coordination with OFCCP. Um, complainants. Um, are there workers uh, of federal contractors and subcontractors who reach out to me uh, to better understand OFCCP's complaint investigation process um, because they're thinking about filing a complaint or um, perhaps already have filed a complaint and have issues that they wanted to discuss with someone else at the agency they weren't already working with. Um, and then also OFCCP. Uh, OFCCP staff and managers when coordinating with external stakeholders are also able to reach out and say, Marcus, there's a there's an issue that we're having on this particular case, and we're wondering if we could talk through with you ways that we can we can better uh, better manage those issues. Maybe it's a request for mediation, a request for a facilitated dialogue, uh, for me to join a conversation between an OFCCP office and, and an external stakeholder uh, to kind of help guide the conversation. So I'm always tracking where these referrals are coming from, and you see here on the slide. Uh, just a breakdown of the last couple fiscal years um, and then also those referrals that I've received so far uh, in FY 2024 to this point. So that would be from October 1st, 2023 until now uh, or until last week. Um, you'll notice that from year to year, there was a small decrease in, in the number of referrals that I handled from FY 2022 to 23. It's actually the first year there was a decrease. The first three years of the program, there were um, pretty sharp increases. I think the primary reason, at least, for a decrease from 22 to 23 is probably that the agency, uh, for a couple years in a row, did slightly less, scheduled slightly less compliance evaluations than it had been for the, for the couple years um, before I was hired and then my first couple years at the agency. And so when you think about um, the, the need that arises for some sort of neutral assistance is usually 
going to be higher when there are more cases or more matters um, in the pool of potential issues. So I think there being at least slightly fewer of them uh, a couple of years in a row might contribute to there being less referrals. But within that, you kind of notice that even from 22 to 23, there was still an increase in the referrals from complainants. Um, I mean, first of all, because the number of complainants who reach out to me isn't necessarily correlated with the number of compliance evaluations the agency is conducting. But then also the number of contractor representatives increased. Those again, the, the attorneys and consultants who represent contractors, which also makes sense because those are the people who might uh, not only coordinate with OFCCP when a particular contractor is scheduled for an evaluation, but might represent many contractors and therefore have an ongoing relationship with the agency and maybe have more of those general issues and concerns that they want to confidentially relay to someone um, without their name necessarily being attached. Um, so again, these are the uh, referral sources. I'm never tracking the name of people, the people who reach out to me again for confidentiality reasons, but I do track whether it's a, a complainant, a contractor representative, a contractor, or OFCCP. Um, if we go to the next slide, then I'll talk a little bit about um, what people actually reach out for the types of issues and concerns, concerns that people most often compliance forward. evaluations, so discrepancies, about, challenges, um, jurisdiction, the decisions. Of OFCCP offices, yeah, right. Um, or the handling uh, by an OFCCP office of a compliance evaluation or a complaint investigation. Yeah, well, what is the compliance um, for? It could be that there are discrepancies between OFCCP and an external stakeholder about the appropriate scope of a, a compliance evaluation. Mm -hmm. um, who says who be, gets to uh, choose? Challenges to OFCCP's jurisdiction, people questioning if the agency has jurisdiction and or maybe they have information um, about a change in contracting uh, that they're wanting to discuss with someone and see what the appropriate process might be uh, for raising those potential jurisdiction issues. Mm -hmm. um, people also reach out you know, when there are just general impasses, whether that be that people are in OFCCP's conciliation phase, which is a formal negotiation process between the agency and, and a contractor, um, or it could be much earlier on in the life of a compliance evaluation when there are discussions about uh, what is a reasonable time frame or what is a reasonable um, expectation given a particular need that the agency has identified in its investigation. Um, so when impasses are reached, people re reach out uh, to kind of discuss them, kind of, you know, explore what's reasonable and, and how they might be able to, um, if they believe something is unreasonable, uh, sort of redirect the, the, the impasse such that it's um, more amenable to both sides. Uh, Communication and transparency, I'll, I'll, on the next slide, not just yet, but on the next slide, I'll show um, specifics about, I'm sorry, that was confusing. If we could go back, I'll, I'll get to this in just one second. But on the next slide, I'll show actual statistics. But um, here, communication and transparency concerns um, are a pretty big portion of what uh, I see to be the issues when people reach out. Most often, 
when people reach out, it's because there's some sort of communication um, inefficiency or discrepancy or um, that either because there's not enough communication or people have different communication styles that don't work for each other. Uh, so that's pretty often, and again, I'll show you the numbers in just a second, but pretty often um, at least uh, a piece of why people have reached out to me. Um, also sometimes just like a need for preparing for a difficult conversation. Maybe there's feedback that somebody needs to relay to someone else and they're uh, having trouble kind of figuring out what the best way to do that such that the conversation can actually be productive. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there can be general issues or concerns, not just specific people or issues that people want to talk about. And so inconsistencies from one office to the next um, is an example of that. Sometimes when people have worked with multiple OFCCP offices, they think, well, why are we doing things this way when I did it this way before? Um, and so that's something that people sometimes bring forward and want to talk about. Um, and then if people know that they want a process like mediation or facilitated dialogue, um, they feel like given what they've identified to be the issues, that's a process that would be helpful and they're interested in participating, um, then people sometimes reach out for that specific purpose. Um, I skipped over one, compliance assistance also. So um, compliance assistance is not mm -hmm. something I specifically provide the um, local offices at OFCCP district and area and regional offices um, do a lot of great work in the area of, of providing compliance assistance uh, to external stakeholders. But when people have um, particular needs in terms of guidance or types mm -hmm. of compliance assistance, that they're sometimes um, hesitant to ask others at the agency for. Um, sometimes they reach out to me just to say, hey, Marcus, before I ask others, do you know if this is already available somewhere? And if so, where? Um, or maybe they're looking at guidance that's already available and having a hard time interpreting it and want to discuss that with someone. Um, or maybe it's something that's not available and there's a recommendation for um, producing new guidance that would be beneficial to external stakeholders. So mm. people will sometimes reach out for those reasons as well. Mm. I'm flag it right there. So again, just to conducting that I thought I would confidentially discuss with you. The primary issue type would be investigation concerns or I've kind of hit a roadblock. Maybe this is OFCCP, someone at mm -hmm. OFCCP. CCP contacted me and saying, I've kind of hit a roadblock in working with this contractor or their representative. And we're wondering if maybe introducing you would help us to overcome that in some way, then negotiation impasse. So a primary issue is what someone first identifies as the reason that they reached out and we're hoping that I could be helpful. Mm -hmm. So you see here, um, and this is all from FY 2023, um, mm -hmm. you see here the frequency of each of these primary issues, just to give you a sense for what people are most often contacting me about. You might see some of the numbers as surprising. As I mentioned earlier, I hear a lot of people talk about communication or communication just being a, a contributor to conflict. So 15 instances is pretty low. Transparency, only five. Again, these are the, the reasons that people tell me that they're reaching out to me. If we go to the next slide, secondary issues so secondary issues the whole reason that i'm identifying primary and secondary is because when i begin the conversation and someone tells me i'm reaching out because there's an impasse or because there are investigation concerns or whatever else it might be there's always more to it when you when you, when you 
you know, ask follow-up questions and someone tells you their story about, you know, what's gone on to this point, um, there are usually other contributing factors, right? There are other things that have made that impasse come about, let's say. And this is the frequency of those other underlying issues. So you see that communication, as I mentioned earlier, um, is a large contributor. This isn't just at OFCCP, this is conflict generally. Um, conflict management and conflict resolution practitioners will tell you that the most often, uh, often the, the most often um, contributor to the issues that they're working on uh, is communication. Um, transparency, consistency, so that's, that's like the, the example I gave earlier, maybe someone having a different experience from one um, office within the agency to another. People have different um, opinions about what constitutes a reasonable time frame and kind of wanting to, uh, you know, talk through that. Um, reactive devaluation is a form of, of bias. Um, what it suggests is that when people have worked together in the past and maybe not had the best experiences, they um, sort of subconsciously, if needing to work with them again, associate uh, that person with negative um, anticipation for this next uh, coordination. So if you're working with the same compliance officer or district director or regional director or national office um, division director that you did in the past and didn't have a good experience, you might approach that, that coordination with negative anticipation, um, not even meaning to. And same thing with OFCCP. I mean, this is like a, a pretty natural phenomenon, not just within the and outside the agency, but in really any aspect of life. People um, subconsciously devalue if they've had poor experiences or, or uh, assumptions about people in the past. Um, and that contributes to some of the issues that I raised, whether people have, you know, have identified that themselves or not. Um, and then just efficiency, different opinions about what an efficient process, uh, given what people are working on, might might be, um, and or issues collaborating. Marcus? Yes. Uh, you have a, a question by Karen? Okay. Okay, great. Thank you, Karen. So when you get a mediation request, does that mean that you actually handle the mediation or you refer the parties to the FMCS? Great question. So the FMCS, for those who aren't aware, is the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service, which uh, OFCCP fortunately has set up a relationship with. Um, we have a memorandum of understanding whereby if there are certain, uh, to your question, Karen, if there are certain uh, needs for mediation that the agency and external stakeholders have and they don't want me to be the mediator, which is totally okay, um, then then I can help the parties in referring them to FMCS or maybe the, the parties pick a private mediator not affiliated with OFCCP or FMCS. Um, and so the goal to your question is uh, to give people as many options as um uh, to give people several options in who the mediator can be. Uh, I'm always one, and since I'm an employee of the agency, I'm a, this is a free mediation service, right? With a private mediator, you're paying um, some pretty high rates sometimes for, for private mediation. Um, and through FMCS, there are fees, but they're reduced fees because of that MOU that, that OFCCP has with FMCS. Um, 
and is mediation conducted via video or, or in person? So all of those that I did pre-COVID, and again, I started in August 2019, so there weren't too many of them um, before things became virtual. Uh, but all of them pre-COVID were in person, and most, not all, but most of them since have been virtual. The mediation world just generally has sort of shifted to virtual mediation. Um, really only certain dispute types do people kind of have people kind of reverted back to pre-COVID practices of doing mostly in person. Uh, and I think it's just a convenience factor. I think it's probably a cost factor. Um, but I'm sorry, to answer the question more directly, I'm still open to both. It's just that I end up doing most of them virtually because I think that's what people prefer these days. Great questions. Thank you. Um, if we go to the next slide, just a, a few more stats that you'll see in the annual report if, if you decide to take a look, look once it's available. Um, and this kind of addresses the actual conflict management, conflict resolution processes that we use when people decide to reach out to me. Um, so you'll see that mediation really isn't, this is going back to something I mentioned earlier, that um, most of the work that I do isn't mediation, even though people do generally associate an ombuds with, with a mediator. Um, and it's because these other processes are, are at our disposal. And it's really a matter when people reach out of figuring out what the appropriate process is, given for where, given where a conflict might be um, at that point in time what people's needs and, and interests are. You know, I, I don't force any of these processes on, on people. It's sort of more a conversation about where things are at. I can give my assessment for based on, you know, once I've understood issues, um, what I think might be most helpful given where things are at. The, the goal being to never rush people into a mediation before they might be ready for one. And also, as I mentioned earlier, people lots of times reach out not even wanting me to involve others um, who they're, you know, they're working with within or outside the agency. Um, lots of times people just want a one-on-one -on -one conversation and you see here with the frequency of individual consultation, that's a large majority of what I do. Um, working with people one-on-one -on -one, and sometimes that does uh, progress into someone saying, you know what, this has been helpful to kind of frame my thoughts and kind of generate options for what I can do myself to address this individually. But I'm now thinking that it might be helpful to at least take a shot at, you know, addressing this with whomever the other party is a bit more directly. And I'd like to, to get your help in doing that market. So then we might explore shuttle diplomacy, shuttle diplomacy again, as I mentioned earlier, is that process where the parties aren't in the same room in person or virtually like they would at mediation. Um, but I'm kind of shuffling back and forth, having private conversations with people so that I can better understand what's going on from their perspectives and then relay messages to the other party. Um, facilitated dialogue is pretty similar to mediation, but the difference is it's slightly more informal in that um, it could just be that a conversation has to take place between two or more parties and conversations in the past haven't gone well for whatever reason. And so people think that maybe just introducing a neutral third party who's really not involved, doesn't have a stake um, in the outcome, might kind of just in and of itself lower the temperature a bit or um, maybe being there to help kind of 
facilitate if needed and kind of guide the conversation such that it's productive. Um, whereas in mediation, it's a more form, it's a more formal process in that, um, you know, we pick a date and time that works for everybody, probably reserve a full day, given how many issues there are. Um, people are in the same room virtually or in person for a period of time. And then I start going back and forth. So it's similar, but it's slightly more informal. And, um, there, and with facilitated dialogue, there isn't always the goal of reaching a, a settlement agreement. Lots of times with mediation, it's because there's a desire for both parties to come up with a formal agreement that I can help them um, sort of negotiate and get to the point where they're able to, to, uh, to memorialize their agreement. Um, so that is, again, just to give you a sense for how often I utilize these processes and what the options actually look like if, if people do decide to reach out to me. And then on the next slide, um, just in case anybody who's listened in today um, is thinking, you know, there's this, there's this particular concern I had or these ideas that I had that I might want to, you know, reach out and talk, talk with them about. These are just kind of like looking ahead, things that are on my radar um, and maybe give you some other ideas about ways we can collaborate. So I, again, appreciate the Pacific region inviting me to join the webinar because I'm always looking for ways to um, conduct more outreach and appreciate everybody joining today so that we could talk a little bit about the Ombud Service. So if people here have other groups you're affiliated with that you think might be interested in any of this information or have a, um, uh, a way that we could collaborate, then please feel free to reach out. I'm happy to talk to other groups as well. Um, if there are specific issues or ideas or recommendations or concerns that any of you have related to um, uh, policies or procedures or just specific instances of your collaboration with the agency, feel free to reach out. I'm always looking for um, you know, things that I can relate to senior leadership to put their, their attention on so that we can kind of make sure anything that could, could be improved is improved. Um, and then as I kind of continue to work on individual re referrals, I'm always looking for ways that uh, I can utilize those more facilitated processes a bit more like mediation, facilitated dialogue. Again, as appropriate, never want to rush people into one of those, but um, sort of always keeping my pulse on opportunities for, uh, for getting people involved in those more facilitated processes. Um, when I work on those individual referrals, you know, I'm always keeping my eye on ways that the agency could uh, benefit from certain conflict management or resolution um, skills training, and that's to, to improve collaboration between the agency and stakeholders. So I'll continue to, to look for ways of doing that. Um, and then, you know, anybody who is still interested in learning more uh, about the Ombud Service, that annual report should be out hopefully in the next couple of weeks, and it'll be on the, there's an Ombud Service landing page within the OFCCP website that that will be posted on. Uh, so that is an overview of the Ombud Service and, and some of the things that I think are important for people to um, to know in advance of deciding whether you want to reach out and have a conversation. But I welcome other questions, um, questions, comments, anything you're you're wondering related to the the Ombud Service Command specifically. V. Happy to address any and all of those. Command V. Okay. Whew.
Well, we have a little time left if anybody has any questions uh, or wants clarification on any topics that uh, Marcus has uh, brought up. Well, thank you, Marcus. Um, I appreciate um, I really appreciate your time and uh, all the information you provided uh, to our audience today. And let me just, um, uh, I would like to say uh, there's a lot more information that can be had by our website. Um, uh, and I will be dropping in uh, the OFCCP Ombuds uh, Service uh, web link, hyperlink, uh, and that'll be coming right now, the window, uh, chat window. Um, I'm also going to go ahead and uh, drop in their DOL events calendar. Um, this is going to allow you to look at any other um, events that DOL uh, or OFCCP will be conducting in next few quarters uh, we project these out uh, for uh, maximizing uh, participation by the the public so you could go to the calendar and you can go ahead and review any events based upon the topic you would like uh, to mm. participate in uh, and then I'm also going to go ahead and drop in uh, the complaints, how to file a complaint with mm. OFCP regarding alleged discrimination. Mm -hmm. um, uh, this hyperlink uh, will walk you through the complaint process. Uh, it will also uh, let you file electronically. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, if you have any questions or concerns, you can look at the um, our, our website link and you will look at, uh, you can look up uh, the area or district offices and or the regional office and uh, you call the uh, our number and uh, mm. someone will reach out to you uh, and help you through the process or answer any questions that you may have uh, and lastly we all not lastly but we also have um, the DOL OFCCP uh, Eventbrite uh, hyperlink mm. and this is uh, allows you to follow along with any topics or or initiatives that the agency is uh, pushing uh, are pushing through at the time, or in things we've done in the past, and allows you to participate in events. Um, it's another way of looking at our upcoming events. And then um, I also want to provide you um, a uh, the the OFCCP Pacific Regions Outreach Division email. If you have any questions or concerns, or if you want follow up, mm -hmm. or if you want to, um, uh, if you want to go ahead and uh, to have us uh, email you when you have when we have events, uh, for that way you know yeah, about you them. Or if we have topics that we want to uh, push out to the region, uh, we can send those to you. For that way, you can be on our mailing list. Um, and so with that being said, I, I, once again, I want to thank you for attending. And if you have any additional questions, you can contact Marcus at the contact information listed in the chat window that should be dropping. Uh, or you can email the Pacific Region Outreach Division for any follow-up questions. Or if you would like, uh, like I said, to be on our monthly newsletter or events uh, that we're going to be participating on our invitation list. Uh, you can go ahead and email our uh, Pacific Region uh, Outreach email address, which will be in the chat. With that being, uh, I just want to say thank you. And once again, thank you, Marcus, for, for uh, providing this um, 
uh, information. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Thanks, everyone. Office of and we'll give you back your service. Federal Contracts Compliance Programs. Department of Labor, United States Department of Labor. Was that awesome? I think it was awesome, y'all. It's over. But I will say, follow me for more information. That was just great. And you guys can go to the website, figure it out, and I'm sure you can benefit. Y'all, have a blessed day.